Welcome to Art Waves, a showcase for the artists of Mendocino County and sometimes beyond. I'm Marty Derlin. Today's show features artists who practice unusual art forms, punk music and tattoos. The art forms originate in different parts of the county and come from different generations, but both are very much a part of our community. We start in Fort Bragg with the story of the Triangle Tattoo and Museum. Madam Chinchilla and Mr. G entered the tattoo world in the mid-1980s in San Francisco, when there were only four tattoo parlors in the city. Now there are hundreds, and tattoos have gone mainstream. Yet there's still a reverence for the old days when tattoo parlors were on the wrong side of town, and tattoos themselves were mostly associated with bikers, sailors, and circus sideshow performers. Chinchilla and Mr. G pay tribute to that legacy with the Triangle Tattoo and Museum, located at 356 North Main Street in Fort Bragg. To get there, you go through a decorated door framed by tattoo memorabilia, climb the red stairs lined with an exhibit of the American Patriotic Tattoo, to a succession of rooms at the top, covered on every wall with exhibits such as Tattoos Without Consent, Tattoo Hand Tools and Electric Tattooing Machines, Native American Tattoos, and The Woman's Wall. While another tattoo artist plies her craft in the front studio, we gather in Mr. G's studio for our interview. The couple, now in their 70s, talk about the early days. I got interested in tattooing when Mr. G was interested in it. I wasn't really drawn by it or anything then. Although, when I was a young girl, my father's business was jukeboxes, pinball machines, pool tables, that whole thing, and going into bars. So on Saturdays, well, we went to Temple on Saturday. After Temple, my father would take us kids into the bar, into the back room of the bar, while he traded dollars for quarters with the the men who wore real nice suits and had cufflinks on. And I could see that they had tattoos on their arms, on their wrists, from their wrists. And that that was interesting for me, but it was kind of scary Mm -hmm. because I was just a little girl and we were in a bar. We weren't supposed to be there. So that's my first taste of tattooing. And then I met Mr. G, and we found someone to apprentice us. And I just... You didn't I go cried. for it first. I, right? I cried. It was too rugged. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't it, peaceful. <laughs> well, it was, but it was the, the veneer of it, the varnish of it was pretty rugged. And Well, I was a hippie. Where we went to learn... It was rough and was bikers, you know, bikers. Yeah, and... I'd never really been around bikers or mm-hmm. you know, all that. I just started crying and I begged Mr. G. I said, No, let's not do this. Let's go somewhere else. Oh, you know? And I paid him cash up front. He had already paid And shook cash. his hand. We didn't need a piece yeah. of paper or anything. 
They used to be in really rough parts of cities, like in San Francisco, it was down by the Embarcadero, and then down in the, below the market there, and most places were near the docks, uh, or army bases, military bases, Pendleton, um, 29 Palms, they were just always near where you had young macho or going on, uh-huh. <laughs> or old drunks, yeah. Some of that rough edge is gone. It'll yeah. never be the same again. It's just more mainstream. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't want to learn now. I'm I'm glad that we learned it then. It's just not the same. It's a little bougie. When we started, we were the only shop between Santa Rosa and Portland, Oregon, on the coast, wow. all the way. Yeah. yeah. And you started here. We you start. I you... started here. Besides doing doing all the uh, bike, motorcycle runs and yeah, stuff. Yeah, we both did. Mm-hmm. We'd work over here, and then about every two weeks, we'd travel to down by Merced, uh, down in the valley, to uh, rallies, motorcycle rallies. Yeah, bikers And we'd be vendors. Together. Oh, okay. <clears throat> and when we first started, we were the first tattoo uh, group or... Artists. Artists or whatever. We had a, that trailer. And we were the first one, that Easy Rider Rodeo, which has been on, going on for 36 years or something like that. And then the, uh, yeah, we used to be able to get an exclusive where we would be able to tell them we didn't want to have other artists there. And we were able to pull that off for a couple of years. And then the last one we did <clears throat> was in Santa Rosa, and there were 20 tattoo artists there. It was like, not a moneymaker, not worth our time. <laughs> we were just lucky we got into this before it became real popular. Mm-hmm. From the ground up. Basically. Yes, and people, when we moved to Fort Bragg and Gutter Station, or our place on Laurel Street, the guy didn't even want to sign a lease with us because he didn't think we'd last more than a month or two. So so tattoos are, they're an ancient art. People have been doing it for... Centuries. Oh, 25,000, 50,000 years, something uh-huh. like that. Yeah. Whenever they started doing paint, uh Cave paintings, or marking their pottery and tools. You know, the human body was also a, a medium for them to do things, and they did them ceremoniously. As soon as human beings lost their fur, as soon as we lost our fur, we started tattooing each other. So yeah. that was a lot of way magic, back in when. It. A lot of, and it still goes on today. A lot of magic in the tattoos, like when we were in. Uh, Burma and Thailand, uh, we uh, met tribes where they had kind of like a voodoo going on. It's like a mix of Buddhism and animism. And uh, most of them uh, in the jungle have a lot of superstitions and everything. So they're tattooing with magic. But they're using uh, poly uh, prayers prayers and poly images uh, for tattooing. A calligraphy. Oh, very beautiful. Mm-hmm. A language, Ch- a Tibetan language, yes. Yeah. So it's pretty interesting. But it's not in the church. I've been, We've been tattooed, and I have, in a monastery. And they do those uh, for people that have protection and power and uh-huh. good life. And then and same thing in the jungle, but it's done by a shaman in the jungle. He's not a priest, but he's a magic man. Uh-huh. They do psychedelics there. <laughs> And opium, and we. Uh-huh. I never did anything like that. So. <laughs> um, so, so tell me technically what tattooing it is. It is 
is indelibly marking the skin mm-hmm. with a with a carbon, carbon. just charcoal or, or right. But it's not like a. I mean, you do can do a henna design where you're just dyeing it, mm-hmm. but this is something different. Yeah, you have to push it into the skin, right. under the skin, and you do it in different ways. Like some of the people up in the Arctic Circle, all the way around the world, use a sewing technique where they have sinew or, or an iron needle and they run the designs through the skin with carbon on it. There's kind of like a sewing. Well, they just pull the thread through and then the carbon's under the skin and that's how they do their tattooing. Uh, a lot of sticks uh, used. Uh, Segura t- uh, in the southwest, Segura cactus spines. And also, the, it's funny how the world, the primitive world, the indigenous world, has similarities. Like the people that did it in the Mojave and all that are very similar to the people that did it in uh, India and China. Tell me what your first tattoo was, Madam Oh, mine. <laughs> <laughs> I had just turned 18, and I was a, a stoner. I used to smoke a lot of grass. And my in-laws had a pawn shop almost right next door to a tattoo parlor that was on First Avenue in Seattle near the public market. On Skid Row. Yeah. (laughs) And it had like, oh, the window had been broken, there was a piece of of, uh, plywood on part of the window, and I went in and the guy was not a real friendly, soft-spoken guy at all. And he said, come on, come on over here and sit down. And I sat down, and I had wanted to have a heart tattooed on my face. I was just stoned, you know, just wanted to be cool. And he said, what the hell's wrong with you? He said, choose another place, but not your face. So he had social consciousness. He cared about me and my future as an individual. He could tell I was just a little stoner chick, right? Mm -hmm. From suburbia. Yeah, from suburbia, yeah. And so I said, well, okay. And I gave him my hand. And this is right on my palm. He did this. Is it just a a circle? Oh, it is a heart. It's a heart. But it would never stay on anybody's skin here because... The skin replaces is, itself deep. Yeah, migrates. Yeah, yeah, just migrates. But it hurts so bad. Oh my God, it hurts so bad. And all of a sudden, he was done. And I threw the money at him. I said, "Here's your money." And I ran out of there holding my bleeding hand, <laughs> crying. Oh my God, that was my first tattoo. Wow. And I still have it. Yeah, they're forever. Yeah. yeah, we should hope I still have it after what I went through. Yeah. Well, that's amazing that it was such a negative experience, oh, really, but it didn't stop you. I was 18 then. and You started tattooing when you were uh, 40, 39, yeah. That was a long time ago, yeah. And what was your first one? My first one was... I lived in Tennessee in the mountains near North Carolina, so I was into bluegrass and mountain music and everything. So I was in Cincinnati. Uh, there was some really good bluegrass bars down at, at what they call Below the Rhine, which was an old part of Cincinnati, 
Uh, I called it hillbilly town because a lot of people from Appalachia moved there to work in the factories. I was down there getting drunk on a Friday night, and I couldn't find my pickup truck. <laughs> so I was wandering around, and I uh, walked in front of a tattoo shop, and boom, it just hit me. And I loved it, the graphics and everything. They had It was an old barber shop, and they had the glass covered with plywood. It had these great dragons, dragons on the windows, and they weren't open. So I, I went back the next day, and... I got the hours the night before, and I was there waiting for him to come. And these two guys with long hair drove up on choppers. And uh, I, and I was an architect student at the time in Cincinnati. And I was going, uh, I think that's, these guys are cool. <laughs> it's a lot better than wearing a pocket protector and those khaki <laughs> pants. <laughs> so I was immediately into it, and I went in and... Uh, I didn't have the money. I didn't know how much they were going to cost, but I got this little tiny rose, but that's tiny little rose there. Right there. Oh, okay. It wasn't anything, tiny. and I was so afraid because my, now. Yeah. And my mother, uh, you know, told me, and everybody tells you how bad it's going to hurt and how your arm's going to fall off and all that crap. And, uh, boy, they weren't even halfway done. I already picked a dragon off the wall that I wanted. and But... Uh, they laughed at me and said I had tattoo fever to come back in a few days. <laughs> so when I went back, I took about four or five of my friends. Three of them were women. They all had their butts tattooed with butterflies and things. So we were all getting tattooed. And I didn't get tattooed again for 13, 15 years. Well, you got years. your dragon. Yeah, I got the dragon. Yeah. And then after when you that, went back. And yeah, after that, I just wasn't you know into tattoos until I moved to Mendocino and I was looking for another trade. I was a carpenter for 20 years. Yeah, yeah it was great. It was great money. Uh, but I wanted to try something else and wanted to be an artist in a way. But tattooing is the one that really spoke to me because it was different. It was, you know, five, five or six people doing stained glass, five or six people doing paintings of seagulls and things. So it was like different. I remember the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like I said, I had, did have that. Uh, background where I'd been with some pretty rough characters for t my career. And, you were and one of construction. them. Construction, yeah, I was. <laughs> <laughs> you civilized it. Maybe. Yeah, I got civilized. Well, yeah. anyway, no. Really, it would have been boring. <laughs> yeah. Well. <laughs> okay, so now, how much? How much of your body now is tattooed? Um, I mean, would you guess a percentage or um, something? Seven, not eight, enough. Sixty. Not enough. Yeah, hurt. Uh, my arms hurt. <laughs> and legs, my back, my front. Uh, yeah, I've got a lot. I usually get tattoos. one a year, maybe. One a year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's pretty consuming to be. This is a life, not just a, a thing. It's a lifestyle. So, as we get older, we're deciding. You know what we want but when we were younger we were just trying to fill the arm up uh -huh. and we didn't used to tattoo on our sides you did your front and your back and then your legs and arms and stuff so uh, we kind of slowed down after 
don't know when, we're about 50, 60. After I had my back done, mm-hmm. I didn't want anyone touching it with a <laughs> tattoo needle again. Uh-huh. They hurt so, like hell now for us because all the spots that are painful, like on the rib cage. and That's the part you have left. That yeah, hasn't and been... some people get their necks tattooed. So the arm is the one of the least painful parts? Oh, it's easy, yeah. Or the arteries run and the... Uh, Nerve bundles for survival run, they're much more sensitive. Like, you wouldn't think a butt would hurt, and that's where everything runs. So it's really painful. Uh-huh. And then... Uh, well, I don't use the word painful, actually. People can say it's going to hurt, oh, it's going to hurt, I hear it's so painful. I just, it hurts. I, I don't like that word. I call it, it, it will be intensely sensational. <laughs> If we say it's going to be painful or whatever, that's so negative. But intensely sensational, is, it just says it. You actually get high off of it. Uh-huh. It's like, that's why I think it was part of culture, is, is it was a way to get your uh, dopamines running. And, and uh, also it's very similar to acupuncture uh, because you're puncturing your skin, and that sends a salt signal to your body to make these dopamines, endorphins, and it's a, usually it's like a runner high, and uh, it's a real subtle high. But you know, we can watch people getting tattooed. You can look at their eyes, and they're just kind of staring out there. So that's that's an interesting aspect of it. And the cultures what we've been tattooed in, um, like I said, Burma and Thailand. With you mix in incense and prayers, and, and uh, it makes it kind of magical. Yeah. So I think that's why it was part of our culture so so long ago, and still is. Mm-hmm. What that, about the colors? Like you, you both got some beautiful blues and well, some... it's most mostly the aftercare. We don't get them in the sun very much. It, it destroys your skin. Your skin is your canvas, and it's like putting a amber glass over a delicate painting it's the smoke kind of covers it and if you take care of them they last really long i have some that she did three six years ago on my thigh and my leg and they look very very uh almost like they're new tell me what you think people should know more about tattoos i think one thing that we know that we people shouldn't do is do something because someone's talking you into it or persuading you to get something that you might regret. Uh, I think the young people nowadays are a little less, they're more individualistic and they, they're not influenced like that. Uh, I do see a lot of trends, but there's nothing wrong with following a trend in your era. I see a lot of uh, young people getting uh, things that are vocal artists, women artists, Miley Cyrus and uh, a couple other, I'm, just, I'm getting old, I don't know who these young musicians are, but I see the same tattoos that they have, you know, where they are getting very simple stuff and that's fine. Uh, then the thing that's the worst is I think names, especially if somebody is a dominant part of a relationship and they want their name on that person. We refuse to do that sometimes. We can tell that they're being pressured into it. Mm. It's almost like you know, branding someone. So we're very sensitive with young people if they have a 
domineering partner that wants them to get tattooed. Uh-huh. Uh, and the other thing is to do it safely and do it do it right the first time. Get a professional tattoo. There's a lot of people that claim that they can do it, but they're just tearing you up. Be hygienic. Yeah, and the, and the tearing up. A lot of homemade machines are are uh, they just scar you. They just tear you up. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you see some beautiful work, but uh, oh, often actually. often we do. But oh, but everybody wants to try it. And now with the internet. Everybody can buy machines online. Uh-huh. I advise anybody that's even curious about tattooing as a career that they should collect tattoos for a while just to realize the lifestyle that goes with it, the, the people that tattoo you and how they live and how they talk. And just, you know, a lot of kids in high school want to come over here and learn how to tattoo or be, spend a day and interview us or follow us around and... It's just so much more to it. It's like a, being a, a barber or beautician. You have to be good with people. And you have to have good work skills where you show up on time and uh, keep track of your money so that you can make it through lean times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's just more than meets the eye, but you say something, huh? I think you've said it for me. <laughs> <laughs> What about for women? I mean, it's so much more common now for women, isn't it? Oh, than sure. it ever was. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's beautiful, some of it. It's just yeah. A... Yeah, it's very common. It's just um, nothing surprises us anymore. Oh, we see some beautiful tattoos. People come and visit. Friend, they've been heavily tattooed, uh, like uh, in Spokane or New York City or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, we see some gorgeous tattoos. It's just well-planned oh, and large-scale. The larger tattoos are, seem to have more impact than the small ones because they're just unusual for us. Usually uh-huh. we saw little four- or six-inch diameter tattoos, and they're all put together. Do people do it casually still, or is it really a you know something they've been thinking about for a long time and it's yeah. they have a particular idea of what they want mm-hmm. and it probably is all over the place it's yeah. all over the place but that there are kind of two two versions of that one is like when we were getting tattooed <clears throat> it was the older american way or western way was you got souvenirs at the time you're marking events or times and uh it's like a suitcase with the stickers on it. And then they have, have memories with every one of these tattoos. And uh, then the Asian, Japanese tattoos were all one piece. And they usually were uh, images from some... Uh, Mythic. Yeah, woodblock prints of uh, and mythology and Japanese culture. And uh, that's... One of, I forget the names of it, uh, translated, but anyway, that's the Japanese style where they do a large tattoo. And mm. They've even done some tattoos that are so large, it's like five or six people with their shirts off, and it makes one big picture or oh, something. Oh, amazing. Beautiful. Oh, my goodness. Or their whole body standing together makes a, a, an image that's just gorgeous. Wow. And there's some that's women brilliant. in Japan that you can't even see their tattoos, but when they come out of a hot bath... They can line up and it'll be a big dragon across seven or eight women. 
and it's invisible when you're up close, you know. It's well thought out. It's beautiful designs. And uh, we've had the Japanese masters here twice uh, from Tokyo. Uh, with their apprentices. With their apprentices. And they t I took all the furniture out of this room and we put nice carpets down. And they tattoo on the floor. And oh. they stayed with us a week both times. And More than a week. Yeah. Do people make appointments? Yeah, we um, make appointments. Oh, yeah, because yeah, it's an unusual and yeah. amazing and thing. And the master's tattooing him, but he has two apprentices with him. Do it, taking care of everything. Who else noteworthy has come by? Because well, you, you guys rock, must be legendary. Rock stars. We tattooed. Uh, we both tattooed Greg Allman, and he wrote a song while he was getting tattooed. He came about four, three or four times. Yeah. And uh, that was very interesting because he called from the health club here in town. And he saw a woman that I had tattooed, and I, I thought it was. Another Greg Allman. It couldn't be the Greg Allman, right? right. <laughs> he walked in. I had just seen him in a movie right before that. And I go, that's Greg Allman. <laughs> but, you know, you treat him just like everybody else. He actually signed our bathroom wall in the back, our private bathroom. And he wrote the first line of the song, didn't he? On the wall. Yeah, the we song. both tattooed him quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And what what did he want? I'm just curious. Oh, I first one was I fixed up a tattoo he had done in uh, Georgia or somewhere. It was the um, Queen of Hearts because that was part of one of his songs, I guess. And I just redid it so it was better defined and everything. And then uh, he wanted uh, some kanji. Kanji and Chinchilla did the kanji and uh, that's a Japanese kind. Yeah. Yeah, and then. What else did you do? Was it a pyramid or something? Uh, something from the the pyramid from the dollar bill or hundred mm -hmm. dollar bill. A Masonic eye yeah. of whatever. Yeah, we just yeah. whatever he wanted, you know. Yeah. But he, he used to come up here for fun. Just well, get... he didn't just come here for fun. He came here to quit drinking and yeah. clean out. Yeah, there used to be a guy That's here, why. a psychiatrist clean. That, clean. that had a clinic. It was one on one clinic. For rock stars and stuff to clean them up, and uh, he would uh, bring them up here and detox them. The weirdest thing you've ever done. Well, I we don't do a... genitals, yeah. uh, and we have a, like a bikini rule. You we'll go as whatever you can cover with a bikini. That's about as close as we get to anything. Uh, and our teachers told us when we started, there is no weird. <laughs> And so, yeah, I think the things we hate that are weird and we won't do is hate stuff. We won't. Uh -huh. uh, I had some Aryan people in here one time and they wanted me to do some Hitler And they said, oh, you don't do political tattoos? I said, well, yeah, I would do Che Guevara. <laughs> I didn't like that. <laughs> Chinchilla is the author of four books, Stewed, Screwed, and Tattooed. Electric Tattooing by Women, Electric Tattooing by Men, and Captain Don Leslie, Sword Swallower. On our quick tour of the museum, she points out the exhibit about Captain Don Leslie, Sword Swallower, Fire Eater, and Tattooed Man. This is Captain Don Leslie, and uh, we met him through the apprenticeship when we were in San Francisco. He, had, he was uh, doing street performance down in uh, Embarcadero and the wharf. 
he he had been a tattooed man in the circus in the late 50s. And a sword swallower. Sword swallower. He did 10 different acts. He worked with a lot of major circuses. You can see him with taking care of elephants here. And uh, so the whole thing with him is he was a talker. uh, And he could, if somebody was having trouble getting in a costume or something, he could talk about his tattoos on stage. Make up a bunch of words, uh-huh. but yeah, quite the character. He was a character, and he taught us a lot about history, uh, tattoo history. We've done his biography. It took 30, 30 years for us to interview him for that book. Wow, so it's beautiful. <clears throat> There's also a tribute to Lyle Tuttle, who grew up in Ukiah and died there in 2019 at the age of 87. Tuttle had a studio in San Francisco and tattooed many stars, including Janis Joplin, Joan Baez, Peter Fonda, and Cher. He is credited with leading the tattoo out of the shadows into mainstream American culture. And this is Lyle Tuttle's tattoo shirt that he did. What was there a year on that? But one time he was in New York and he saw John Lennon wearing his shirt. Well, that is a way cool shirt. Yeah. And there were some of his instruments that we collect. He's a wonderful guy, truly. He said tattooing is the highest exalted position a person can be anointed with in this world. Well, there you go. <laughs> That's Lyle Tuttle. Yeah, so those first two rooms were our mentors, yeah. yeah. And they were connected. Lyle and Captain Dollar were very good friends since the 50s. These were the last glasses that Captain Dawn viewed the world through. Do you know, after he died, I had these glasses on our kitchen table for two years before I felt like I could, like, put them in in here, right? It was really personal. I mean, that's that's a lot of... A lot. The last lenses that he viewed the world through. I wonder if anybody will do that for us. Hi, my name's Eddie Hale, production director here at KZYX. Usually, when I sit behind the mic, it's to thank our underwriters or bring you the weather forecast. But today I'm excited to share with you a discussion I had with Thomas Kenny, frontman of the local punk rock band Friends Anonymous and a good friend of mine. Right now we're hearing one of the earliest versions of their first single, Paranoia, one of the 15 tracks on their upcoming self-produced first album 10 years later. We talk a little bit about the production process, as well as the band's history and also Gummy Cub Productions, which explores some of Tom's other artistic projects beyond the band. Here's that interview I had with Tom earlier this month. Friends Anonymous, who, who are you guys? Uh, we are a high school punk rock band. Okay. <laughs> Love it. Um, it consists of Simba Souza on drums, Philip Penneberry on bass, and myself on guitar and vocals. Nice. You guys have like an extended production team that you guys incorporate regularly? Yeah, we have um, 
another local guy, Juan Venegas. He um, he does a lot of sound engineering for us. He's currently uh, attending Santa Rosa Junior College nice. for, you know. Sound engineering? Yeah, exactly. Um, so he helps and, you know, helps us record and does overdubs and all that technical stuff. And jazz also helps. They're like our... That's Jazz Barley? Yeah. Um, they, uh, they help us with like artwork. They sometimes play with us. They'll play keys or do vocals and all sorts of stuff. It's a really nice little team we got here. <laughs> Sounds like it. So, uh, when'd you guys start up? Um, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of tricky to answer that one. Cause friends anonymous, I feel like I've, me as a person has kind of always been this band, you know, but, uh, technically it started in 2019 when I met our former drummer, Casey McCarthy. Um, we were both attending Mendocino college and we were uh, taking Rodney Crisanti's recording class. And we were both just sort of like, sort of in bad spots in our life at the time. And we, and we both sort of were just like, we need this band. <laughs> like we're, we're going to, we, we need this band, you know? And we started, we, our first project actually, um, we recorded an early version of Paranoia. And, uh, that was for, that was for our final. So Grisanti's class. Yeah. Yeah. We did. Um, we, we didn't do anything with it, but I still have it and it's, it's not bad for a, <laughs> for a first, uh, recording. It's, it's just like the two guitars and his drums. So, so paranoia that that's the first, well, I don't, I'm, I'm hesitant to call it the first song you guys wrote, but, um, it sounds like that was sort of the first catalyst that you and Casey, did, uh, yeah, wrote. yeah. It, it was, it was one of the songs that I wrote in high school. Um, I was originally in a band called Freakin' It. Uh, nice. and that, that was actually the first time that song got played live. Um, and then later on we did it for the class. And then later on when we were more formed as a band, um, we recorded a, a single at the college with Rodney Gasanti and that's up on YouTube and Spotify right now, you know, it's last I checked over 5,000 listens on Spotify. Not bad. Not, that's crazy. I didn't know that. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So, uh, paranoia, this is a song that you've had rolling around in your head since high school. Um, but yeah, and, and it's, it's changed slightly evolved. Yeah. Um, how many, like what, what, what is a uh, friends anonymous repertoire look like right now? Um, currently we have, uh, Paranoia, the single is out. Um, and right now we are like at the tail end of our debut album, which includes 14 original tracks. Um, and we also just started two more singles. One is a brand new song that's not on the album. And then another one is another one of the songs that's on the album. Nice. That's exciting. Um, yeah. And those, those, we're hoping to get those out, you know, in the next two months. So you guys, when did you start the self album production process? That's a big step for a, for a band to do like yeah. first album and you guys are doing it on your own. Yeah. Um, I think that just stems from my, I, I feel like growing up and going to school, I, I kind of just got tired of like sitting in a classroom and talking about the things that I wanted to do. I was like, I'm just going to go do it. I'm just going to 
invest my money. I'm going to buy studio equipment. I'm going to, you know, touch up my guitars. I'm going to find bandmates and we're just going to do this thing. And we went for it. And, you know, like two, two ish, three ish years later, we're already wrapping up a debut album. You know, it's, <laughs> it's crazy to, to look back on it, on how quickly it all happened, you know? But it's, it's it sounds like it was like, friend, like you you always wanted to be in a band. You always wanted to make yes. an album, and all of that. You sort of had this collective view, this collective goal, and you've been making your way towards it since yeah. high school. Find the bandmates. Oh, get before the equipment. Then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, just, you 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 more than anyone else I know that we went to school with has like had a singular goal in like you see it yeah. and you've pursued it, and now you're almost there. It's just really. Yeah, cool I, to, I am there. I, I, yeah, I'll even you know I'll even say that we it is happening. I'm living it right now, and it's and it's weird because it's put me in a spot where I'm like simultaneously like the most happy I've ever been, <laughs> but like it's also so hard and so challenging. You a know? lot of work. Yeah, but I've I've I, I always joke you know like I could teach a college course on making an album at this point. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like from songwriting to recording, to mixing, and you know, like, yeah. <laughs> All the ins and outs. And so out of high school, you went to Mendocino College, like yeah, a lot of, I did, a lot of folks. Yeah. And I, I was it there with um, with Rodney Grisanti's recording class where you got a lot of these skills that you're applying for creating and producing this album? Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely a lot of the technical aspects. Because, you know, I'm, I've always been an artist. Right. But I never really knew, like, oh, how do you mic a, a guitar cab, you know? Or, like, how do you run a direct input to a, you know, a, an amp? Right. You know, how do you record vocals? What mic do you use? Those are a lot of the things that I picked up in the, at the college. And as soon as I knew all that stuff, I'm like, oh, that's it? Okay. That's all there's Here to we it. go. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, it, and I think it's so much easier to, to learn when it's something you really want. Right. Learning is, it's not even an obstacle, you know, cause you just want it so much. How are you going to distribute this album? How can I hear this album? I'll, I'm, I'm super hyped for um, it. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to be hyping it up the closer it gets. Um, we'll, we're going to start with CDs. We're going to, we're going to print CDs and we're hoping to have those released. We really are aiming to have those released in April, but I'm not going to make any promises. <laughs> and then later on, uh, we're going to put them on Spotify and uh, our YouTube channel and, you know, online stores and stuff like that. Nice. And we'll announce all those days. Cool, cool. Stuff like that. Um, so uh, I've seen Gummy Cub Productions also mm -hmm. associated with you, another project. How how's that tied into Friends Anonymous and what you're doing here? Gummy Cub Productions is my, like, it's... Because I'm not, I'm not just a musician, you know, I don't just front a band. I, I want to eventually like make films and, you know, I've, I've already done in the past, um, we've done short stories where we do like Foley and we have voice actors come in. You actually were, were in one of those. <laughs> I helped in a couple of those. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so Gummy Cup Productions is just sort of like more of an all encompassing, like artistic, uh, production student stu I, I don't company uh, <laughs> don't really we call it we call it gummy cub productions um that's the official title i don't really know like how to how that technically translates <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah like that's for dance theater film uh music um 
it's 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 more the technical side of the art and it's sort of like the behind the scenes and like how we recorded it and advertising artists who otherwise wouldn't you know have their stuff out there like and that's that's another goal with gummy cub productions is i want to help lift up local artists who otherwise you know who who were like me a few years back like no one would ever have known what i was up to you know without my production studio so it's like a little bit of help getting the word out yeah for sure and we've um we've done a few uh singles we did even did a ep for a band called losers um so we're uh we're recording this right now in the loft studios yeah we are in the uh the demo slash rehearsal studio at the loft (laughs) 2.0 and uh quite quite the cool setup you guys got here yeah um very grateful so this is what you're this is where you're producing the album and helping with these other gummy cub production yeah collaborations and stuff um well, the out. Well, I used to live uh, at Oak Park in Redwood Valley. It's a trailer park, just like fifteen minutes away, and the whole album basically was recorded there. <laughs> you know, so the only thing that wasn't recorded there was the lead vocals. That we did that at the college because I wanted to make sure those, you know, sound controlled rooms. Yeah, and- yeah, yeah, exactly. But here we're primarily doing the mixing because it's just it's a better setup. You right. know, sound wise and space wise and that sort of thing. So, yeah, like I said, we're we're at the tail end. You know, we have five things left to record. <laughs> Literally, like a guitar solo. Philip has like two lines of lyrics. Uh, we're gonna add some keys. Jazz is gonna play on those. We're gonna be a featured artist on the album. Yeah, and then it's just mastering at that point. Very just, exciting. Crazy to think about. <laughs> so um, you guys formed in 2019 when you met Casey. How did uh, Philip and, and uh, okay, this is, Sim get involved? This is, I, for me, it's almost like like fate was like knocking on my door kind of thing. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a funny story. I'll, I'll, I'll try to keep it short. Um, but me and Casey met in Rodney's class. And we were like, man, we both got to just, we, we need this band, you know? And we started playing and, and we started rehearsing at my, my old place. And Philip actually was my neighbor and I never knew. <laughs> and he just came over one day or he asked if he could come hang out and watch us rehearse and see what we're up to. And I was like, well, uh, we need a bass player because we were actually waiting on somebody else, our friend Aubrey. Um, to join us on base, but you know, for whatever reason, it just wasn't fate. Yeah. Fate. Um, so Philip was like, Oh, I can just, uh, pluck some chords on the base. <laughs> and he was, he was, you know, he was learning and, but he was determined and motivated and he got really good really quickly. And so there was just us three for a minute and we played some like backyard shows and stuff. And then Alex Montez came along and he was added as our lead guitarist. And then he, he kind of disappeared for a little bit. And then he came back. Um, and then uh, our Casey, he, he moved away. So we needed a new drummer. And this is where it gets kind of funny. Years ago, I, was, I think I was doing like a college assignment with my friend Ricky at her house. And her cousin was there. 
and he was showing me a video of this girl who was like a punk drummer. Huh? And I didn't really think much of it. I was like, oh, that's sick. Like a girl who plays punk drums. That's awesome. Yeah. And I moved on. Like, and then years, years later, later. <laughs> I thought of her and I'm like, oh man, like that's how do, how do I get a hold of her? You know? <laughs> and I, I literally went online and I typed, uh, will it's girl drummer or something <laughs> like that? Like no joke. And then her, it, there was an article, a newspaper article of like, she was in like a, I think like a girl, uh, drum competition or something. Wow. And I was like, oh, and it said Simba Souza. And I was like, oh, okay. So I have a name. And so I looked her up on Facebook and, and I just shot my shot. I was like, Hey, I hope this isn't weird, <laughs> but like I have this band and my drummer's leaving and here's all these demos. And I sent her, you know, like 10 demos or something. And she was into it like immediately. And she's like, just let me, uh, I just got to, you know, get some stuff ready for, for this month and then I'll come join you for rehearsals. And then it just picked up from there. We, we got some more songs going and then, yeah, it's, it's just, we started recording the album and eventually Alex had to leave, but you know, he, he, he's all over the album, both, both Casey and Alex, like the Their song, fingerprints are there. yeah, the songs wouldn't be what they are without them. We, you know, Simba, Phil and I might be like the official members now, but uh, credit has to be given where it's due because they, right. they put a lot of effort into it. So these, these songs, there's how many tracks on the new album? I think it might actually be 15 because <laughs> one of them's technically like an interlude. Okay. You know, um, but it's, it's 15. Okay. So 15 tracks and you know, music and all art is, or a lot of art can be collaborative. That's what makes music, especially yeah. theater, live arts. So enthralling. Um, What's the songwriting process for most of these songs? Like who took the lead or was it all a collaborative? One person did music, one person did vocals. Uh, it's, it's a bit of everything. Um, but everyone wrote everything kind of thing. Sort of. It started with just me. Right. You know, back in the day I was Paranoia like, is. yeah. And, and learning to record. And I just made like a bunch of little demos of songs that have just been hanging around like my whole life. Basically the original demos, I, I played everything. You know, I played drums, bass, guitars. I did the vocals. Uh, Casey played on like one track, I think, because he was just there. And I'm like, hey, you want right. to just <laughs> add drums, you know? Uh, and then I just showed those tracks to them. And I was like, this is what I'm thinking. You know, this is sort of where I'm going. And they were rough. You know, they were just, There's I, was, I was learning how yeah. to record, you know. And they were like, yeah, we're into this, you know. And so from there, they hear the demos and you guys start working right. on them together and they just right. evolve and evolve into what they are now. Yeah. 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 Like, and, and everyone, like I said, you know, even, even from Casey being our former drummer to switching to Simba, our new drummer, you know, they both added things to the album. You right. know, it's not like once Simba took over, like all Casey stuff. Went right. Right. Window, no, it's, it's still it's, there. Yeah. Yeah. She, there was a lot of stuff that she added and she kept from him and, there was stuff I changed, lyric changes. Phil added amazing stuff on the bass that I hadn't even, you know, thought of. And Alex too, you know, he's, he's an amazing guitarist. Um, so it's definitely, it definitely became more collaborative as we sort of understood what Friends Anonymous was becoming. And the writing process, uh, I had notes, like notebook full of just lyrics, song idea, chord progressions from high school and just... I slapped a bunch of them together. Some songs were already done. Um, I wrote new ones as time went on. Like there's a track called When I Get There. 
And that was just about a time when me and my buddy Nick Myers and Jazz and I, we were all just, we just had a really good night. And we were spending a lot of time together over the weekends for a little while. And in one night, I was just like, I'm just going to write a song about this. And I think like 15 minutes later, I had a song. <laughs> sometimes it just works like that. Yeah, sometimes it just, some something enters you in it. You know, a lot of artists say like, I can't remember who said it, but like he, uh, it was a musician who said like God takes over or something. Not that you never know when you find your muse. Right. Exactly. You know, some, they'll say like a spirit enters you or like God enters you or an energy or something. (laughs) And I, I totally get it. You know, um, it just kind of happens sometimes. And some of them were these demos, lyrics, chord progressions that you slapped together. And those might've been more of a constructing process at right. the time. Right, right, right. Yeah, some of them some of some of them like I had to completely construct together like lines of lyrics that were totally separate from each other. But then I put them together and I'm like, "Oh, that works. You know, that makes sense. You know, that the tone makes sense and it it works in this song and it's it's I like the idea of just having like a notebook. Sometime something strikes you at the time you write it down, mm-hmm. not thinking much of it and then you know, poor long Two years have later, notebook yeah, full exactly. of great components and things that, you know, you're not going to remember, but just little tiny be, things. Yeah. It, One thing I can recommend to any artist in any art form, write down literally everything. Even if it's, even if it's just, even if you just take out your recording recorder and you just say, boom, 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 that's it. You know, a year later you could come back to that and be like, oh, that's what I needed. Or you're like, oh, that gives me another idea. You know, so if I... You know, I recommend that to all artists, you know, hold on to those little golden nuggets, you know, keep your notebook ready, keep, uh, and everyone has phones. Yeah. It's not hard. Yeah. And it, and it, and it's not like you're going to show anyone, you know, you don't have to be like shy about it. (laughs) You know, it's, it's for you. It's to, it's to make, to take a, take a note, you know, and you know, the, the whole, um, thing about, cause this is a very DIY project, you know, like the, it's like. Pretty much any extra money that I had went into this studio and went, right. you know, um, and it's like, you don't need tons of money and you don't need like all this studio equipment. It's, it's, it's about you because at the end of the day, art is about taste and it's about, it's all subjective because literally anything you say or do as a human being on this planet earth <laughs> at the end of the day, 50% of people are going to hate you for it. And the other 50% are going to love you for it. Sure. So, you know, even if, even if your recording is quote unquote trash, you know, like, like you recorded your band with a phone in the middle of the room. But if people hear that and they're like, oh, you know, the recording, the technical side is not very good, but the music sounds great. There's a lot more to it than just. Yeah. 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 It's so it's just make your art at the end of the day, you know. Just do it. <laughs> Got to get it out there for, uh, save, save your magnum opuses for later, you know, cause, <laughs> cause like I said earlier, like uh, I want to do movies eventually, you know, but that's a totally different realm, even from just making an album, you know? So yeah, just do it. <laughs> Gotta start somewhere. Yep. Friends Anonymous has their first album coming out yeah. March or yeah. uh, uh, April rather. If not April this year. Very exciting. For sure. So if uh, folks wanted to follow you guys doing that, uh, where, how can they get in touch? How can they keep track of what you're doing? We, uh, are, we currently have social media on Facebook and uh, Instagram. 
uh, and it's just the name, Friends Anonymous. Uh, and you can look for our little profile picture is, um, it's like a little rocket with our name encircling it. Uh, so we're on Facebook and Instagram on there and also Gummy Cub Productions. And that's just Gummy Cub Productions, you know, Instagram, Facebook. Um, and we put pretty much everything there. We put like behind the scenes stuff. We put like goofy videos, you know, we show pictures of our pets, that sort of thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a good time. And we'll, we make like all our announcements on there as well. And uh, we also have our YouTube channels, uh, Gummy Cub Productions and Friends Anonymous. And Wait. they're all linked together. You know, they all have links that you can, you know, go find everything else. Folks can head over to YouTube and hear some of the great stuff you're doing right now if they wanted. Yeah, we have a lot of a live stuff up there, you know. Uh, it's it's fun to look back on some of that stuff because it's like, you know, it's, it's kind of early on and we weren't that good. <laughs> but but it's, but looking back on it, it's like, you're. it's almost like, man, how did we do that? You know, and I feel like when this album drops, you know, a year or two later, we're going to look back on it and be like, it's got to be a trip. How? How? <laughs> you know, like... Like, especially given the circumstances, there was a lot of, there was a lot of dark stuff going on, you know, with, with Casey, with me, with Phil, Alex, uh, you know. Not to mention a global pandemic happening. A global pandemic. (laughs) And I should say, uh, the title of the album is 10 years later. Uh, so yeah, 10 years later. Great. Uh, well, folks can check you out on Facebook and Instagram. Yep. And um, YouTube as well. YouTube. And very, very DIY over here. <laughs> Everything's very DIY. Very much looking forward to hearing this album when it uh, hopefully comes out next month. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Thanks for talking, Tom. Yeah, um, uh, it's been great seeing you. It's been way too long. <laughs> far too long. Uh, really appreciate it. Running around, spinning
Art Waves is heard the third Tuesday of every month at 9 a.m. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.